there, uh, started a brand new series called Bless, and we kicked this series off by asking a question, and I'm just going to kind of pose this question, question again so that you can hear it. Um, here was our question. We said, do you believe that Jesus is truly concerned with your happiness? And maybe you're here tonight and you know Jesus and you're following Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus at all. You may be checking this, fir- this church thing out for the first time. And again, I just want you to think about that question. Do you believe that Jesus is truly concerned with your happiness? Now, what we talked about last week is this, is that according to the Bible, Jesus is very concerned with our happiness. Here in Matthew chapter 5, we find the Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to read from in a minute, and it's considered to be Jesus' greatest sermon that he ever gave, and at the very beginning of his sermon, what does he teach on? He teaches on happiness. He teaches on joy. He talks about how you and I can have true satisfaction in this life. So we've got to, we've got to assume that Jesus is at the end of the day concerned with our happiness. But I, I also told you last week we've got to be careful where our brains go when we hear that. Because we've got to stay away from that, that teaching that says, yes, Jesus is concerned with my happiness. And um, if I'll do what he says and follow him, the way Jesus keeps me happy is just by showering external gifts down on me, right? Like there, there's a group of guys and girls out there that teach Jesus wants to make us happy. And if we'll just do what he says, he'll give us money. He'll give us health. We'll have all kinds of material possessions. We're going to be popular. Like it's all this stuff um, that when you open up this book and you read it, uh, this book doesn't teach that anywhere. So we've got to be careful to like see Jesus as this Santa Claus type being who wants to make us happy. So he gives us a bunch of stuff. He just keeps throwing things our, our way to keep us kind of satisfied in him. When Jesus teaches on happiness, um, it's something very different. It's not dependent on all these external things that so many of us find ourselves pursuing to try and find fulfillment and satisfaction in. You see, the type of of happiness that Jesus is teaching on in the scriptures is not dependent on money. It's not dependent on popularity, how much cool stuff you have, how healthy you are, how many relationships you might have. The kind of happiness that Jesus talks about in the scripture and that he wants you and I to, to really experience in this life, it is a happiness dependent on eternal attitudes. And it's a happiness that can only be found when you and I start to pursue Jesus over everything temporary that this life has to offer. And so last week, what what did we start with talking about? Well, we started Matthew 5, 3, where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And and Jesus, last week, what we saw is he he said that if we want to experience happiness in this life, it starts with us becoming poor in spirit. In other words, it starts with us becoming spiritually bankrupt, understanding and realizing that when it comes to a relationship with God, there's nothing we can do to make him love us. There's a lot of people who spend their whole lives trying to be good, trying to follow rules, trying to do nice things for other people because somehow they think that's going to bring them into God's good graces. And Jesus is going, okay, here's the problem. Like, your good works aren't going to pull that off. If you were here last week, I told you a couple things that our good works were like in the presence of the Lord, right? I won't say them again so that you'll go listen to the podcast from last week. Westridge.com students, go listen to it so you can get caught up. But disgusting stuff. I mean, the scripture goes, man, if we really think that we can come before God with good works and make him love us, then we are way off base. 
And Jesus last week, his teaching said, listen, the only way you're going to experience happiness in this life is when you become like a a spiritual beggar of sorts. And you come into the presence of God realizing you can never save yourself, realizing you can never do enough things to make God love you. And you come into his presence and you beg him for his mercy as a spiritually dead person whose existence totally depends on his gift and his grace through Jesus. And Jesus goes, that's where happiness starts is when you understand you are in need of a savior And you walk into the presence of that Savior and go, would you have mercy on me? Would you save me, rescue me? And the reason Jesus says those people are happy is because of of the promise. He says, blessed are you when you become poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. You see, there's the promise. It's on this side of of death. We get to experience Jesus ruling and reigning in our lives. He is king over us. He provides for us. He cares for us. He becomes everything that we need in this life. And we get to experience his kingdom now. But also the promise is, is after death. One day if we know him, if we've become poor in spirit... Come to that place where we beg God for mercy, where we ask him to save us. Jesus goes, dude, after, after your eyes close in death one day, you get to spend eternity with me. Like we get to go spend eternity with Jesus in that place the Bible speaks of in which death is gone, sickness is gone, pain is gone, sin is gone. And we live for eternity with the one who loved us so much that he pursued us and he came after us because he knew we could never save ourselves. And Jesus is going, that's reason to be happy. Well, tonight we're going to read the very next verse in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5 verse 4. And uh, if you look down at your Bibles, let's, let's read this together. We'll have it on the screen as well. Um, kind of a weird verse. We'll talk about it. Let's read it. Matthew 5 4. Here's what Jesus says. He said, blessed... Or if you were here last week, you remember I gave you that Greek word makarios, right? M-A-K-A-R-I-O-S. Happy, fortunate, blissful. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Literally what Jesus is saying here is happy are those who feel sorrow. Happy are those who in this life feel grief. Happy are those who in this life feel sadness. And then he says, for they shall be comforted. Um, this is a weird verse, isn't it? It's really weird. Because when you think about happiness and when you think about sorrow, don't they seem to be at kind of two opposite ends of the spectrum? I mean, it's almost like they, they don't, in, in my brain at least, they don't really seem to have anything to do with each other. Yet here in this verse, Jesus makes this odd statement that those people who feel sorrow in this life are also going to be the people who are happiest in this life. Now, it's just weird. But, but before you kind of start tuning me out because you, you get caught up in how weird this may seem, I want to clarify on what Jesus is trying to get at with this statement so we're all on the same page, okay? Um, what I need you to know first and foremost is this is that the primary teaching of this verse is not about mourning in the midst of pain and sorrow when you, or or that you feel when it comes to the circumstances of life. Okay? Um, So in other words, what Jesus is trying to get at when he says, blessed are those who mourn, happy are those who feel pain and sorrow, Jesus is not referring to mourning as it relates to 
the death of a loved one. He's not talking about mourning as it relates to when mom walked out on dad or vice versa. He's not talking about the kind of grief or sorrow or pain you feel when your best friend goes to the doctor and gets some really bad news. And and I do want to say this before I go on because I don't want you to miss this, okay? There are plenty of other places in the scripture, if, if you're going through one of those times now or if you have, maybe you've lost somebody, maybe you know what it's like to walk through a really painful time in life. I want you to know that this book teaches that God is a God who cares for you, that he is a God who loves you, and he is a God who in the midst of those times wants to be your rock, wants to be your peace, wants to be your comfort, wants to be your assurance. He wants to be there to love on you as his kid. Check out Psalm 55. Check out uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. This book tells us that God loves us so much that in the midst of times we are hurting because of circumstances. He wants to be the one that we come and throw all of our anxiety, all of our worry, all of our stress on. That's the God that we serve. So that is true about God. Um, It's just not the primary teaching of the verse that we're looking at tonight. Again, the primary teaching behind what Jesus is saying tonight when he talks about mourning, he's talking about mourning as it relates to sin. Now, maybe you're here tonight and you go, oh, great. Man, if I knew James was talking about sin, I might not have come, right? Blessed are, I mean, the mourning and comforting thing, that sounded good. I had no idea that it had to do with that. But I want you to hang in here with me. Um, Part of this message is going to hurt and be be heavy for some of us. But part of this message is going to be the most hopeful thing you've ever heard in your entire lives. So, man, I pray that you hang in there with me until the end. When Jesus makes this statement, blessed are those who mourn. He is trying to paint a picture for us. And he's trying to paint a picture for us of the grief and the sorrow that we should feel when we realize the effects that our sin has on us and on our relationship with God. Again, go back to last week. What was our beatitude? What was our statement? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So you almost get this intellectual um, mind kind of understanding of, man, I need a savior, right? It's this intellectual comprehension of, I can't make God love me. I can't do enough. I can't follow enough rules. I get that. I get that. I get that. I need mercy. I need to be saved. I need to be rescued. When we move into verse 4, it's this picture of us coming to grips emotionally with the very thing that's left us in that place of being in need of a Savior. And what is that? Our sin. You see, it's, I see him, and I can't get to him, and I need somebody to rescue me. I need him to save me. And then in verse 4, and Jesus is going, and that realization should drive us to our knees. It should leave us on our face, full of grief and full of sorrow because we realize that it is our sin that killed us and separated us and broke our relationship with the very God who loved us. If you go back and you read the New Testament, here's what you'll find. There are nine different words in the New Testament that talk about our grief and sorrow when it, when it comes to how we deal with it. Nine Greek words that talk about how we relate to, to, to pain and sorrow. In this verse, in Matthew 5, 4, Jesus picks the most intense out of all of them. And it was most commonly reserved for a person when they did talk about mourning the death of a loved one. 
It, it describes this deep sense of inner agony that a person would have if someone close to them unexpectedly and all of a sudden passed away. And so again, I need you to get this with me, okay? Because I want us to walk out the door understanding tonight just how serious the consequences of our sin truly is. What what Jesus is saying in this verse is this. It's almost like he's going, think to that time in your life where you felt loss in a way greater than you had ever felt loss before. Like, can you go there in your brain really quick? Like maybe it was a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a best friend, um, I don't know, a grandparent. If you can think of that time where you lost somebody unexpectedly and you remember the grief and you remember the pain and you remember the sorrow that you felt in that moment when you first heard that news. And what Jesus is getting at with this statement is this. He's going, the way that you felt when you lost that person It's the same way that you should feel about the sin in your life. Like that same grief and that same sorrow that overcame you when you experienced the most terrible loss of your life. You see, when you think about the sin in your life, you should feel that same sense of grief and that same sense of sorrow and that same sense of sadness. And why? Because it's that sin that separated you from God. It's that sin that spiritually left you dead. It is that sin that has grieved the heart of God and should grieve us as his kids. And Jesus says that when we mourn over sin like that, that we will experience happiness in this this life. And, And why? Because he says we'll experience the comfort of God in a way that we've never experienced it before. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to flip over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 15. And I want to show you a picture of this so that you really get it. Luke chapter 15, and uh, we're going to read together a really familiar parable, one of my favorite in all of Scripture. And uh, you might know it as we get into it. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. And in Luke 15, I want us to start reading together in verse 11. And I want you to get a picture of what sin and mourning and comfort truly looks like. Let's start reading chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus is talking. And he says, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son, he gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Not a fun job. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. Okay, again, so let's get the picture. The, the Bible's saying there's two kids, two sons. I can identify with this because I'm an older brother and I got a younger brother. So this dad has two sons. The younger son out of nowhere comes to his dad and he is demanding his share of his father's estate. Basically, he's coming to his dad and he's going, Dad, I want my inheritance and I want it now. Now, this is not something that would happen in Jewish culture regularly. A son was never supposed to go to his father and ask for his inheritance earlier. I mean, it it would have been like a slap in the face to his dad. And here's why. 
because he was never promised to get his inheritance until after his dad was dead. So for this son to go and to say, Dad, I want my inheritance, I want it now, it was kind of like this son going, Hey, Dad, I know you're still alive, but you're kind of already dead to me. So will you give me my share of what's mine, stay out of my life, and let me kind of go do my own thing? Now, surprisingly, this father agrees to this. If this would have been my dad, I would have been picking my teeth up off the floor, right? Like, I just, I would have never dreamed of saying this to my pops. But surprisingly, this father agrees and he gives his younger son his share of the inheritance. And the Bible goes, and a few days later, this young son takes off. And he goes into this far off place. And when he gets there, he goes insanely crazy. I mean, the Bible says he wastes everything away that the Father has given him on, and he calls it reckless living. Okay, not the kind of reckless that we're here to talk about, like reckless abandonment to ourselves. It's kind of where our name reckless comes from. I want to save these discussions. Because this kind of reckless, if you look this, this word up in the original language, it literally means total debauchery. Total debauchery. So we don't know what kind of debauchery this kid was involved in. We can kind of guess and we can kind of assume based on debauchery, right? Like if this were today, we could kind of say, um, younger son comes to Pops, asks for his stuff, takes off to Vegas. And when he gets to Vegas, spends all of dad's money that he was given on uh, gambling, booze, drugs, prostitutes, and strip clubs. Right? I mean, this could have been a similar picture to what we see this kid running off and doing with everything his father had given him. But there, there came a turning point. And if you pay attention to the story in verse 14, it says that when this kid had spent all he had, a famine came to the land where he was. Like food is running out. And this kid began to be in need. Guys, do you remember last week when you were here and I told you that it is extremely dangerous to pursue happiness or joy in temporary things? And here's why. Because when those temporary things run out, so does your happiness. And this is exactly what we see happening in this younger son's life. He loses absolutely everything. His money is gone. His relationships are gone. His stuff is gone. His comfort is gone. His fun is gone. And guess what goes with it? His happiness, his joy, his satisfaction. And we see here from the scriptures, the only thing he could do for himself was to get a job feeding pigs. Awesome, right? Get a job feeding pigs. And, and not only that, but he was so poor and so hungry, he was looking at this, and this is a bad day, right? When you start looking at what the pigs that you're feeding are eating and going, man, that looks good, I'd love to have some of that. I mean, this is where this kid was. He's trying to beg for money, he's trying to ask people for stuff, but no one gives him anything. You see, this kid was at the lowest place in his life that he had ever been. And you know why that was, right? Because of his sin. It was because of his sin. Now, I want us to keep reading, and I want us to see how he responds to this. Look back down at the story with me in verse 17. The Bible says, but when he came to himself, this was this kid's light bulb moment. And I pray that for some of you tonight that are playing with fire, that you'd have a light bulb moment before you leave. This is this kid's light bulb moment. He comes to himself. 
And he says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but here I am perishing with hunger. I mean, I'm starving to death. He goes, so I'm going to arise and I'm going to go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. See, guys, when you see this response of this son, when he looks around at the mess that he's created because he has pursued sin, he has pursued his own selfish desires, he has gone out and done whatever he wants to do. When this son comes to this place, he comes to himself and he looks around and he realizes that his life is in shambles because of the choices that he's made. And we see how he responds to it. This is the kind of mourning that Jesus is describing in Matthew 5.4. You see, it's this painful recognition that my sin has broken my relationship and my fellowship with my father. You see, you get this picture of this kid sitting in the pig slop going, I walked out on him? Like I left my dad? The guy who loved me, the guy who cared for me, the guy who gave me everything that I needed, like I chose this over him. And you look around and you go, what in the world am I doing? What am I thinking? And this, it's this painful sense of grief that overcomes you, that causes you to get up out of the mess and say to yourself, I'm going to go back to where I left because I know it's the best place for me. Like instead of staying here, I'm going to go back there. Like I realize that the path I've gone down and the choices that I've made and the sin that I've given my life over to serves no purpose than to destroy me. And I see that what's waiting for me back home is nothing but life-giving. It is someone who loves me and someone who cares for me. And it is a relationship that nothing temporary in this life or this world could ever replace. See, guys, it's in those moments of seeing our sin for what it is that we all have to make a decision. And, and here are the decisions that we have to make. One, when we're confronted face-to-face with our sin and what it is, this very thing that separates us from Almighty God, that breaks our relationship with our Heavenly Father, our fellowship with Him, the first thing that we can do is we can just deny it. We can just deny it. Well, I mean, my sin's no big deal. Um, you, you can even get to the point where you go, well, it's not really sin, is it? And then you can kind of start to pick this book up and look for ways to kind of justify what you're doing. And you can kind of deny that sin is a big deal in your life. You can kind of brush off what sin does and the consequences of it. I mean, can you imagine if this son would have denied his sin, denied what sin had done to him? I mean, it would have been idiotic, right? I mean, I know I'm out here feeding pigs and I'm starving to death, but it's no big deal. I mean, it's no big deal. Look where it's brought me. Ah, I'm going to make the best of it. No big deal. Guys, that would have been insane. Yet so many of us do this with our sin. You see, we'll, we'll walk out of this place, man, and we will give ourselves over to things that literally will destroy us. And then we act like it's no big deal. Um, some examples. Some of us will leave here 
and we'll go out and, and we'll sleep with boyfriend or girlfriend. And we'll act like it's no big deal. We won't call it sin. We won't call it what it is. And we'll deny it's a big deal and it's not, not a big thing and God doesn't really care. When in fact your choice in that relationship, since it goes directly against the word of God, breaks your relationship with the Father, your fellowship with him, it grieves his heart and you should treat it like it's a big deal. When some of us come to church and we raise our hands in worship, when two nights ago we were wasted with our buddies acting like a bunch of fools, and we go, well, it's no big deal. God loves me. God understands. God will forgive me. Guys, what you're doing is breaking the heart of God. What you're doing is heading down a path that is eventually going to destroy you if you keep walking down it. You see, what you're doing right now has caused your relationship with your heavenly father to be broken. And some of you guys don't even realize it. You're so busy denying sin's place in your life and denying its consequences in your life that you don't even see the big picture. And what I'm saying tonight is don't deny it. Uh, There's another thing that we do um, when it comes to our sin is some of us despair over it. Some of us despair over it. This is when we kind of look at our sin and we look at maybe kind of some of its effects in our life and we start to wallow in it. We start to let it discourage us. Um, Again, this would have been like the son in this story coming to his senses and looking around him and going, I'm such a loser. I can't do anything right, right? I'll never be good enough anymore. Dad's not going to love me. I'm beyond his grace. I'm beyond his compassion. I'm beyond his restoration. I'm beyond his love. You see, some of us in this room do this, don't we? Like we'll show up to small group every week and we'll sit with our small group leader and we'll confess the same sin struggle week after week after week and we'll talk about it and we'll pray about it and we'll, we'll, I mean, we'll do things till we're blue in the face to try to beat it. But at the end of the day, we don't really believe that we can overcome it. When in fact that book teaches that we are dead to sin if we know Jesus and that through the power of his Holy Spirit that we can put our sin to death. You see, some of us tonight just got to quit wallowing around in our sin like Jesus hasn't already paid the price. Like we haven't already been set free. there's There's an illustration that comes to mind that I've used before. It's like us, like if you were in jail, if you were in jail, and, and the jailer came over and he unlocked the door and swung it open and said, you're free to leave at any time. Like if you were to just sit in that jail cell going, I don't ever know how I'm going to get out of here. Man, this really stinks. I hate being here. This is no good. Look, I mean, man, I'd really like to go. When the door's wide open, this is what it's like to wallow in sin. Jesus has broken the chains. He put himself on a cross to conquer sin in your life so that you could put sin to death. And all you've got to do is put it to death and walk away. Yet some of us are in it going, oh, I wish I could leave it. Wish I could overcome it. You are no longer a slave to sin if you know Jesus Christ. Guys, if we deny our sin, if we despair over our sin, we are dealing with sin in very sinful ways. So here's the third option. And some of us need to do this tonight, and this is the only way to do it. The third option is this, is we can just deal with our sin. 
We can either deny it or despair it, which is going to get us nowhere, or we can deal with it. And how do we deal with our sin? We mourn. We mourn over it. We realize that our sin breaks the heart of our Father, and we let that reality break our hearts. You see, this is exactly what we see the younger son doing in this story. He lets that deep sense of inner agony that Jesus talks about cause him to pick himself up out of the mess he's created and to go back home to the father that he walked away from. Guys, for those of us that are here tonight that have given sin room in our lives to destroy us, to break our relationship and to break our fellowship with our heavenly father, this is exactly what we need to do tonight. We've got a man up, we've got a woman up, we've got to quit denying our sin, quit despairing over our sin, and just deal with our sin by coming to the Father we've abandoned and mourning. And you see, maybe you're here, um, and you're thinking like I thought when I was in high school, and you go, James, that's great, I hear you saying that. But how in the world is God going to respond if I come to him with what's going on in my life? First off, I would say this. He already knows, right? It's not like you're going to come tell God something tonight and he's going to go, what? I totally missed that, you filthy sinner, right? He, he already knows. So let me put you at rest. When I was in your shoes um, as a high schooler and I would hear messages on sin, I would always leave very guilty and there was a part of me that always believed that if I went and I confessed and I repented and I tried to talk to God about my sin and what I was doing and what was going on and God believed me, there was enough of it happening in my life that God was going to come to me as that father who was ready to point his finger in my face and tell me how stupid I had been, tell me how dumb I had been, tell me how terrible I was. And so many times in my life that kept me from truly mourning, that, that kept me from truly confessing what was going on in the deepest parts of my mind and coming out through my actions. But guys, I have good news for you tonight, if that's your picture, because in the last part of this, this story, we see how God responds to those who come before him and mourn over their sin. If you look back down at verse 20, Here's what happens when a younger son goes back to his dad. The Bible says, he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Guys, I, I want to tell you this, and I don't want you to ever forget this, and I don't want you to let anybody ever tell you otherwise. Guys, when we truly start to deal with our sin in a biblical way, when we will start to take our sin seriously, see it for what it is, the very thing that kills our relationship with God, and we mourn over it. 
Like when we will come into the presence of God broken because we understand that our actions have grieved him and broken his heart. When we come and we deal with sin and we confess that we messed up. The picture from the scripture is this, is that our God is a God who rejoices and takes us back every single time with open arms. That's good news. You see the picture of the son coming back home. And I mean, can you imagine the grief that this dad had to feel every day his son was gone? I mean, I can just imagine this dad coming out to the end of his driveway every day and kind of looking off in both directions and just wondering when his son was going to come back home. And this one day, just ordinary day, I can just imagine this dad kind of looking up in both directions, heart grieved because his son has left. The relationship is broken. And he looks up and off in the distance... He sees this kid, and this kid is bruised, he is beaten up, he is dirty, he hasn't showered in weeks, he smells like pig, and instead of that dad standing at the edge of the driveway going, I can't believe he'd actually show his face around here again, gotta be kidding, yeah, I guess he got hungry enough, look at him, this dad sees this kid. And he just takes off running down the driveway. And he sees him as he gets close. This is my son. This is my son. And he looks disgusting. And he smells horrible. And he's beaten. And he's bruised up. And he's bloody. But I don't even care. And he throws his arms around his kid. And he starts smothering him with kisses. And this kid is sitting here in the presence of his dad trying to go, Dad, I've sinned. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And his dad goes, Dad, okay, well, whatever, whatever. I'm glad you're here. Servants, go get the robe. Go get the ring for his finger. Fill the fattest or kill the fattest calf you can find in the field throw it on the table we gotta celebrate my son is home my son is home he was dead and he's alive he's lost and he's found my son who i love is home again and guys tonight here's the hope that i hope you find if sin has got a hold on you Let's just be honest and let's call sin what it is, okay? If you're sleeping with your boyfriend and girlfriend, if you're getting wasted with your boys or your girls, if you're looking at pornography on the internet or watching other pornography in other places, if you're prideful, if you're arrogant, if you're full of yourself, if you come in here and worship and then you leave and the rest of the week you live your life in a very different way, if you're disrespectful to your parents, if you're disrespectful to authority in your life, and I could go on and on and on and on, if you have anger in your heart towards someone else, if you've stolen anything, if you covet what other people have, If you have made anything in your life God other than God, if you're worshiping or valuing anything more than you're valuing him, you have reason to mourn tonight. You have reason tonight to get on your face before the Lord, battered and bruised up and bloodied and beaten up. And Jesus goes, if you'll do that, God will comfort you like you've never even been comforted God will show you comfort like you've never 
experienced. If you don't feel good enough tonight, that's okay. The good news about our God is you don't have to be good enough. If your mindset is, let me clean myself up before I do that, that'll never happen. God wants you just like you are. He wants you in the middle of your mess, smelling like pigs and all. For those of us that are here tonight that don't know Jesus, mourning for us is the first step in coming into a relationship with Jesus. We realize that we need a savior and we come to this place, we are broken over our sin and we put our hope and our faith and our trust in him and God rescues us. We're that prodigal kid running home for the very first time and God is ready to receive us with open arms. If you don't know Jesus tonight, man, I hope you know Jesus before you leave this place. If you're here tonight and you say you know Jesus, yet there is something or some things in your life that have broken your relationship and your fellowship with the Father. Guys, you gotta take care of this before you leave. You gotta quit denying it. You gotta quit wallowing around in it defeated and you've got to deal with it. And you deal with it by getting on your face and mourning. And the promise is, happy are you when you mourn over your sin. Because God who is good, God who is gracious, God who is kind and compassionate and loving, he will comfort you. So let's do this. Um, let, let's bow our heads, close our eyes. I'm going to ask the guys to come out. And I, I could really care less if you sing this next song or not. More than worrying about singing, I pray that I pray that we would tonight deal with whatever may be present in our lives that has broken our relationship with God. Whether it's something small or whether it's something big, my hope for you is that tonight that you would mourn, that you would grieve that you would feel sadness, that you would feel sorrow, that your sin, that your choices, that your actions have grieved the heart of God and broken your relationship with him. And, and my prayer for you is that you would do that not so that you feel guilty, but so that you can be comforted, so that your relationship with God can be restored. So that whatever's standing in the way of you and him, that it would be removed and that you would know intimacy and fellowship with God in a new, deep, meaningful way. This message is not a message to beat you up for the sake of beating you up. This is one of those messages where we just preach it because it's in the Bible and because it pushes us back to the Father. Sometimes that hurts. And I know some of you might be sitting in your seat right now and you're feeling it and you know exactly in your mind and in your heart what you need to deal with, what you need to confess, what you need to repent of, what you need to pick yourself up out of the middle of and leave so that you can go back to the Father and pursue Him. Tonight, if you're doing that for the very first time, if you don't know Jesus and you see this story tonight, you go, man, I'm that kid, I'm that prodigal kid who's running from God. But man, I don't want to run from him anymore. I want to have a relationship with him. I see his grace. I see his love for me. 
The Bible says if you come and you place your faith and your trust in him, you repent of your sin, leave it behind and pursue him. And you pursue him through what Jesus has done for you on the cross. He died to pay the price for your sin so that you could have a relationship with God and so that one day you could spend eternity with him in his presence. And if you're a kid that needs that hope, man, you can just tell God right now in this moment, that's what I need. God, I repent of my sin. You can confess it before him. God, forgive me of this, forgive me of this, forgive me of this, forgive me of this. God, clean me up, save me. I believe in what Jesus has done for me. And God, I want to have a relationship with you. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. There's others of us here tonight that just need to get on our face. Listen, we're going to have leaders available. We have leaders available on the sides. If you need to talk to somebody, pray with somebody, come grab one of their hands. Um, For others of us, whether it's at our seat, um, up in the front of this room, some of us need to get on our face and to feel sadness and to feel grief for the place that we've given sin in our lives and for what it's done to our relationship with God so that when we leave this place, we can know the comfort of God in a way that we've never known it before. God, would you be present in this place right now? Lord, we need you and we love you and we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.